Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As these guys go, just a few announcements. Uh, thank you, worship team. We love you guys. And I'm going to still Mr. Doris's stand here, but I'll let you keep your technology. Amen. Um, Easter is soon approaching, and I hope you'll join us. Uh, there's a little highlight in your bulletin, more to come in the coming weeks, but we do, we're going to have an awesome, awesome Palm Sunday. Uh, I, I think Palm Sunday uh, is just one of my favorite days as well. Uh, along with Easter, but don't want to miss Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday coming up in April. We're going to have our palm branches. It's going to be an awesome, unique time again, and our kids are participating in that. And then we're going to have a Good Friday communion service, uh, and you don't want to miss that. Good Friday, it's just going to be a great, solemn time together to join together as a family, partake of communion, and just reflect on the passion of Christ and, and really what that weekend is all about. And we're going to have fun. You may hunt Easter eggs if that's what your family does or whatever. But Good Friday is going to be the capstone for me on that week just to remember this weekend is important. So don't miss Good Friday. Um, and then Easter Sunday we'll have an awesome service planned. And then we're going to have a fish fry for those who would like to stay uh, after that. And no service that night. And then that will launch our kids crusade, our VBS that week. will be two talk. For two uh, will be coming back. How many people remember them from last year? Adults, were they phenomenal? And uh, this uh, husband and wife team, and, and it's just for families. This is not just for kids. This is for adults, too. You can come. It's a phenomenal puppet show, some lasers and things like that. And they're going to just have a, uh, a great uh, Christ-centered presentation Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. And so you're going to get some flyers and all that for the next uh, coming weeks. But it's going to be a great time, and uh, that's what's coming up. So, amen. A lot more than that, but check your bulletins and Facebook and all that. All that's online. But amen. We're going to get into the Word tonight, and we are continuing our series on followers of the King, part of our Sunday night prayer series, our prayer emphasis of Sunday night. But we are inspiring ourselves to grow deeper in the Spirit by looking back to these 12 apostles plus the Apostle Paul and uh, what God can speak through us through these stories and I love going through these Bible stories. So Sunday night we're kind of taking a little uh, overview of these men's life and legacy. Uh, but let's pray real quick and we'll get into the Apostle John. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And Father, I pray tonight, God, that we'd get a revelation of Jesus Christ and the cross and what you've done for us. God, that your love, your love, get a revelation of your love that we would not leave this place the same tonight because of your love. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Let's talk about the Apostle John tonight. John the Beloved. John is a resident of Galilee. He's from a middle-class family. He's got a brother named James, who we've talked about, called James the Great. And his dad is Zebedee, and his mom is Salome. Uh, And they are a middle-class Jewish family in Galilee. And we go back to the first century here, and you can picture with me this Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a five-mile-across sea. It's hill country, kind of like what we see here in, in uh, Gina, Louisiana. Trees and rolling hills, and, and uh, they would have crops everywhere, and it would be a conservative area, rural conservative. Uh, I wouldn't say they were Republican. They didn't have that then, but uh, it would kind of be what you'd think. It would be a very conservative, blue-collar environment. And John's family, while they're middle class, his dad owns a fishing business, and they, they're kind of connected. They've got some connections with uh, some of the Jewish priesthood in Jerusalem a little bit. 
Well, John, he is, uh, his brother James and him are known for being fiery. And if you remembered the lesson from James a couple weeks ago, they're bold, passionate, patriotic young men. They work for their dad fishing. And uh, John, he's not a timid dude. He's kind of passionate, just like his brother James. Maybe not quite as much as James, but he's still got it in him. Uh, he's a fisherman, after all, okay? He's a sailor, you know, in some sense, all right? But there's something in John that's stirring. Something in this young man has been stirring. His family goes to the synagogue every week. They're very faithful. And his mom and dad have taught him how to pray, and they have been expecting and waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They've been waiting, just like you and I are today. They are waiting. We're waiting for the second coming. They were waiting for the first. They live in a day when Rome is terrorizing uh, their, their values. The Greeks' values are coming in. Paganism is ruling the day. Corruption is ruling the day. Uh, and, and it's a very chaotic time. And it would be hard to be a young man like John and James to stay true to conservative uh, family values, religious values. But nevertheless, they do. They're not educated, they're not rabbis or trained, but they're just good old-fashioned country folk who love the Lord. Anybody relate? Okay, good. Good. So John's no wimp. He's radical, and he finds a guy named John the Baptist who just lights his fire, and he likes that good old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone preaching, Uh, Pentecostal preaching, right? And he (laughs) got an amen from a seven. Amen. And so he's radical to follow this guy, and he goes down to the Jordan south of him, and he begins, and he joins the team, joins the ministry team with John the Baptist, and that's where our story begins. Okay, turn with me if if you want, John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. John's about to be changed. This radical, young, conservative religious guy. He's about to be changed by a love from Jesus Christ that's going to impact him forever. And out of this love, he's still going to be transformed. You'll see as we go through this that due to a reason, we're going to discover shortly why John will never mention himself in his gospel. He'll never mention his family. He'll always mention himself as the other disciple or most importantly, the disciple that Jesus loved. Let's talk about that a little bit. But here's John's call, the, the Jordan River. John chapter 1, verse 35. And the next day, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. We know that to be Andrew, Peter's brother, and John. And looking at Jesus, he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them followed, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher, what are you, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they went and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. John and Andrew meet Christ for the first time, and John the Baptist says, Go, follow this guy. And it was so important in John's life that he noted it and remembered it. How many people remember the first time you were saved? You remember the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. It was memorable because he made an impact on you. And just like this, John... Uh, was so impacted by meeting this guy for the first time, he wrote it down. He's the only one to write it in such a way. 
And so uh, even years later, he recorded the day, and look, it says, and it was about the 10th hour. He even noted the time. He even noted the exact day and time he met Jesus. That's kind of awesome. That's kind of awesome. So do we remember that moment we met Christ? Was he memorable to you? And let's go on. He's in the Sea of Galilee. And I'm just going to begin to paraphrase with, it, with this here. But we find us at the Sea of Galilee later on. Peter, Andrew, James, and John are by the sea. And Jesus calls all four of these young men off of fishing. And John begins to enter into Jesus' big three. The big, the big three. Peter, James, and John. To be Christ's closest inner circle. But even further than this, Peter and John even gain a deeper connection with Christ. And Christ gives James and John this name, Boanerges, or Sons of Thunder. And it's because of their fiery demeanor. They are passionate for an awakening of Israel. They are passionate to see Israel rise up and be the nation God's called her to be. And so that would be translating for us today that we can be passionate to see the church rise up and be on fire and push back the evil uh, of adultery in society and the paganism that we see and the humanism to stand up for righteousness, to speak truth and to push back the darkness. And that's John and James. They're just, come on, Jesus, take it back over. Bring, come on and bring the angels home and, and let's wipe this place off, you know, and, and start over and raise up your people. And this, while Jesus praises him for this passion, he also rebukes him, right? Several times he rebukes John and James for uh, wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans in Luke 9 and uh, trying to uh, rebuke somebody who is casting out demons in Jesus' name in, in Luke 9 and asking along uh, with their mother. In Mark chapter 10, they asked, James and John and their mother asked to be at a special place in the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus rebukes them. Why? Along the way, we find here we are with Jesus, walking with the disciples. And Jesus begins to tell them, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going there for a purpose. Guess what? I'm going to die. The Son of Man is going to die, but he'll be raised up. But they don't have spiritual ears to hear. They don't understand what's going on. Jesus, I thought you were going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords and wipe this place clean and, and bring, bring an army from heaven down and, and start up Israel. And, and so they begin to kind of wrestle with this and figure out, God, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And so he begins to teach them, I want you to follow me to Jerusalem. I want you to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me because any man or woman who doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And they begin to ask him, but God, can't we sit at your right hand? And his mom, can't we sit at your right hand? Now, you have to understand, James and John perhaps were cousins of Jesus. We don't know that but very likely. Are we going to have a special place? He says what? Are you really willing to, to take of the cup of suffering that I'm about to partake? They said, yes, we are. And he said, well, it's not for me to tell who's going to sit at my right or left hands, but that's, that's God's. But as for the cup of suffering, yeah, you can drink it with me. Are you willing to follow me to the cross? Are you willing to stick with me and go all the way to Jerusalem? And do you trust me? So John is mulling this over. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus replied in Matthew 20, 22. Are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? We are able, James and John said. 
So what does it take to follow Jesus all the way, to go all the way with Jesus? Is it miracles? Because John had some special witnesses. Now, John and Peter and James, they saw Jairus' daughter raised. They saw the transfiguration. They spent the night with Jesus in the Mount of Olives. They sat really close. John was next to Jesus at the Last Supper. They prayed with him in Gethsemane, down the hill from the Mount of Olives. No. What makes a follower of Jesus is walking through suffering with him. It's going all the way. You give and take away, but my heart will choose to stay. Say, blessed be your name, right? It's going all the way. Good or bad, I choose to praise the Lord. No matter where you lead me, I will follow, right? Deny myself, pick up my cross, follow you. God, I'm with you to the very end. How many believers today are going to be with God to the very end? How many believers are going to choose, no matter if I have blessing or cursing, God, I'm going, to bless, I'm going to praise you either way. God, if you call me to go to Africa, God, I'll go to Africa. How many adult Christians in America are willing to say that prayer? God, if you tell me to give all my possessions and sell them and give them to the poor like you did the disciples, like this book that I believe in so very truly and sing about and talk about every week, ooh, it's quiet in here. He told them. What if he told you? How radical are we? John was radical. John was radical. Watch this. It was that night of Passover. Passover week, it's Thursday night. We followed Jesus all the way through. We've seen him turn over the money changers temple in the temple. We saw him talk about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday in the Mount of Olives, teaching us that the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us, be with us to the end. He's going to be the teacher. But suffering's coming. Persecution's coming. John hangs in there. Soldiers show up. They arrest Jesus. All the disciples flee. Who stays? John. Hmm. Peter and John begin to follow at a distance. They take him, those Jewish soldiers, they take him to the, the, uh, the council. And look with me in John chapter 18, verse 15. Flip over a couple chapters. John chapter 18, verse 15. John and Peter summon the courage to follow. Verse 15, John 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciple. That's John. See, he doesn't mention his name. So humble. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, so John knows the high priest somehow. And he went with Jesus. He went with Jesus into the courtyard. He went with Jesus into suffering. Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. A servant girl kept the door, said to Peter, Aren't you one of this man's disciples too? He said, I'm not. The servant girl and the officers made a fire of coal, stood there, for it was cold. They warmed themselves. Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And the high priest began to ask Jesus about his disciples and doctrine. John's got this personal acquaintance. Somehow or another, his family's connected. He knows Caiaphas, the high priest. They allow him a special place to come in. John's off to the side watching the interrogation go down. For whatever reason, John's not persecuted. Peter begins, in his, Peter in his bold southern accent, Gets noticed. John stands off. He's watching. 
Peter's there, Peter being the bold one who's ever always out in front making a mess. They notice him. What happens? Peter denies three times. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Even curses. No, I don't know him. Runs off because he hears the cock crow. And he goes, John is left alone with Jesus. All the disciples, 11 have gone. John remains. What was it about John they wanted that, that made him remain? What is it about you that's going to make you remain with Jesus to the thick and thin? When things aren't looking so pretty, doesn't sound so good. Christianity is not a bed of roses that they promised me to be, right? John's there. He's the only one to see the beating, the spitting, the thorning, the disrobing, and the nailing. He watches his friend, who he's known his whole life, by the way, He's known Jesus his whole life. Walked with him as Messiah for three years. And he sees his friend nailed to a cross. He's followed him from the house of Caiaphas, or uh, his father-in-law, onto the place of the governor's house. And John, having a first-hand recount, later records John 19, verse 25. Look there. John 19, 25. He's not left Jesus' side the whole time. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, which might have been John's mother, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. Now John's there too. He's writing a first-hand account. So John and the women are there. And John is standing at the cross. What would that have been like to see? Now, I'm not talking about the gruesomeness and all that. Well, that would be awful. But to know this man, who you've seen him do great and mighty things, you've had a revelation of who he is. And he's there, and Jesus saw his mother. And look, here's this key phrase. He writes it right here. And the disciple whom he loved, standing by. That's not a prideful statement. Pride would be to put my name there. But it humbly broke him. He said, all I can say about myself is that Jesus loved me. Not about me. But if there's anything I can boast about in this life, is that Jesus loved me. That's powerful. He stands there. Jesus says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. James, Jesus' brother, his half-brother, James the Less, we call him later, uh, wasn't saved yet. He didn't believe in his brother, his half-brother's messiahship. So John then takes that role. Jesus leaves his mother to a believer. There's a whole other lesson in that. Leaves his mother to a believer whom he trusted who stuck with him to the end. God might just trust you with some things if you stick with him. He might just give you some great gifts that he holds dear if you stick with him. That wasn't even in the notes. He might just give you some things he treasures if you stick with him. 
John's there, no doubt, weeping. Mary's weeping. Everybody's crying. John's bawling, takes his mom, puts his arms around her, says, okay, I'll take care of her. Don't worry. Jesus gives up the ghost. And he, John has heard all the beatings and the cursings. He's heard all the blessings of Jesus to the soldiers. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. Over and over and over again did he say, Father, forgive him. John's standing there. And John is forever changed. Don't you bet you'd change forever if you saw the crucifixion in person? He sees it in person. John didn't leave the cross. All the other disciples are watching at a distance, but John was standing there. I wonder, in my mind's eye, I wonder if he left that day with blood on his clothes. I wonder if he left that day with blood on his hands and he went home that night not knowing what to do. What do I do with this shirt? How do I wash this off? What would that night would have been for him? Just thinking about what Christ had done and knowing this is my friend, my Savior has done this for me. John became that moment, not John, son of thunder, but John, the man Jesus loved. John's story, though, doesn't end there. He'd be the first to run to the tomb. He'd be the first to believe in the resurrection of the disciples. He'd be the first to see Jesus and recognize Him on the Sea of Galilee because that day, on that cross, Jesus tamed the wild beast in John, the son of thunder, into a man that was consumed and moved by the love of God. John gets filled with the Spirit. He partners with Peter. They make this great, bold team, but no longer is this bold, zealous witness all flesh, but it's tamed by the love of God. And John begins with Peter to heal the lame man at the temple and stand in defiance of the Jewish high priest and and even goes back to the Samaritans and sees the Samaritans, those he wanted to call fire from heaven on, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because he was forever changed by the love of God. What makes a man who was once prejudiced against a people group now go and love on them and tell them of the love of Jesus Christ and see them fill the Holy Spirit? It was that moment at the cross, I believe. All the disciples, even John's brother, would be martyred. James and Peter would all die. John would be left alone. They would drink of the cup of suffering that Christ had predicted, but not John. Jesus prophesied John wouldn't die a martyr's death, and he would become John the Revelator. He'd settle in Ephesus, he'd take care of Mary in Ephesus, and he would be persecuted in Rome. Legend has it that they would try to boil John in hot grease, but it wouldn't kill him. It didn't touch him, and so they threw him on the Isle of Patmos, and there God gave him a special revelation. And he would take that revelation back to his home in Ephesus and begin to transmit that revelation to the seven churches that he was pastoring over. But here's the thing. John died of old age. He's the only apostle to do so. He's the only apostle to escape martyrdom, but he was the only apostle to follow Christ to the cross. Perhaps John had already died that day with Jesus. I think that's significant. The only disciple that didn't die a martyr's death went all the way. 
God had a special purpose for him, and, and we don't understand it all why, but there's something significant in the fact that he was the only one to go all the way. All the others would come back and God would restore them, but he forever remembered, I'm somebody he loved. What does it mean to you today to have an identity that Jesus loved you? John was radical enough to follow all the way, but it became personal to John. I think our challenge today is for all of us to have a personal revelation of a personal God dying on the cross for us. The difference, perhaps, in our lives as Christians is going to be that moment when we say, wow, that cross really is important. It really matters. It was really for me. I really get it now, Jesus. I understand it now, God. And it changed him so much that he'd go out and tell the world of his love. I think perhaps sometimes if I'm selfish in his love, it's because I don't have a true revelation of what he's done what he's done for me, what he's done for others, and how big of a deal it was. Maybe I need to get to a place in my life where I get back down on my knees and say, God, give me a revelation of the cross. Not the blood and the gore, but what it meant that my friend Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, died for me. And it would change me that my identity is simply this. I'm just one he loved. Not about Heath, not about John, not about T, not about Chris or Bubba. It's about him. I want to be someone who's known that God loves me. I love him. Everything else doesn't matter. They would change my identity. His whole identity was wrapped up in God's love for him. And through it all, he never let Jesus out of his sight, and he was always near the cross. I want us to be always near the cross, not to forget the cross, not to forget what it means that Jesus Christ died for us, that he loved us to the very end, and that we stick with him. Stick with him. Worship team, would you come? Maybe we've allowed ourselves to grow distant from Jesus a little bit. Maybe like Peter, the other disciples, we've had some denials. We've had some times where we've left him. We've walked away. We've been distant, but we want to Say, God, I want to come back to the cross. I want to be near the cross. God, give me a revelation of the cross. God, I want to stick with you even in suffering. God, I want to drink from the same cup that you drink with. God, I want to fellowship wherever you fellowship. God, if you call me to go, I'll go. God, if you call me to stay, I'll stay. God, if I'm supposed to give, I'll give. Because, God, you love me all the way. And I don't want to ever leave you. So whatever you give, and I know, God, if I stick with you, God, you're going to give me those things that are most precious to you. It'll be an honor, Lord, to take care of the things you've entrusted to me. God might entrust you with a few souls. He might entrust you with a ministry or an opportunity. And he says, I'm giving this opportunity to you because I trust you. You stuck with me. You didn't give up. You stayed with me. Father God, we're just here tonight and we just say, God, keep us near the cross.